Greetings, working step one of Alcoholic Anonymous. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. The first question is, do I accept that I cannot control another person's drinking, my own uh, or another person's behavior or my own when I'm drinking? Question number two, how do I recognize that alcohol and alcoholic drinking and binging is a habit? It has gone too far. What are my characteristics when I drink? And what happens? What is the wake that I leave behind? And then question number three, do I understand or have studied the doctor's opinion or read it that alcoholism is a disease, that it has changed how I drink. I like an alcohol like, I, I busted every window in my house and I cannot obtain a normal house anymore. Every cell in my body has been busted through with alcohol. I cannot attain alcohol. If I drink one ounce, I start the, the craziness all over again and binges start. So, amen. So please answer these three questions <clears throat> on step one, on working step one. I admitted I was powerless over alcohol. My life had become unmanageable. Write down the statement, how unmanageable has it been throughout the years? Go all the way back from high school up there. Do I accept that my, my drinking is out of control? Yes. Number two, how do I recognize that alcohol has become a habit with me, not a social affairs? And three, do I accept and have read the doctor's opinion and understand that alcoholism is a disease? Have I done a scientific look and view in the internet about how the cells cannot handle alcohol anymore? Amen. Please answer these questions. Write them down so we can talk about them. Step one. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives have become unmanageable. Who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one, of course. Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. It is truly awful to admit that. Glass in hand, we have warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive drinking that only an act of providence can remove it from us. No other kind of bankruptcy is like this one. Alcohol now becomes the rapacious creditor, bleeds us of all self-sufficiency and all will to resist its demands. Once this stark fact is accepted, our bankruptcy is going human concerns is complete. But upon entering AA, we soon take quite another view of, the, of this absolute humiliation. We perceive that only through utter defeat are we able to make our first steps toward liberation and strength. Our admission of personal powerlessness finally turns out to be a firm bedrock upon which Happy and purposeful lives may be built. 
We know that little good can become to any alcoholic who joins AA unless he has first accepted his devastating weakness and all his consequences. Until he so humbles himself, his sobriety, if any, will be precarious. Our real happiness, he will find none at all of real happiness, proved beyond doubt by any immense experience. This is one of the facts of AA's life. The principle that we shall find no enduring strength until we first admit complete defeat is the main taproot from which our whole society has sprung and flowered. When first challenged to admit defeat, most of us revolted. We had approached AA expecting to be taught self-confidence. Then we had been told that so far as alcohol is concerned, self-confidence was no good whatever. In fact, it was a total liability. Our sponsors declared that we were the victims of a mental obsession so suddenly powerful that no amount of human willpower could break it. There was, they said, no such thing as the personal conquest of this compulsion by the unaided will. Relentlessly deepening our dilemma, our sponsors pointed out our increasing sensitivity to alcohol and allergy, they call it. The tyrant alcohol wielded a double-edged sword over us. First, we were smitten by an insane urge that condemned us to go on drinking, and then by an allergy of the body that ensured we would ultimately destroy ourselves in the process. Few indeed were those who so assailed had ever won through in single-handed combat. It was a statistical fact that alcoholics almost never recovered on their own resources. And this had been true apparently ever since man had first crushed grapes. In AA's pioneering time, none but the most desperate cases could swallow and digest this unpalatable truth. Even these last gaspers often had difficulty in realizing how hopelessly they actually were. But a few did, and when these laid hold of AA principles with all the fervor with which the drowning seized life preservers, they almost invariably got well. This is why the first edition of the Book of Alcoholics Anonymous published when our membership was small, dealt with low-bottom cases only. Many less desperate alcoholics tried AA but did not succeed because they could not make the admission of hopelessness. It is a tremendous satisfaction to record that in all the following years this changed. Alcoholics who still had their health, their family, their jobs, and even two cars in the garage began to recognize their alcoholism. As this trend grew, they were joined by young people who were scarcely more than potential alcoholics. They were spared the, that last 10 or 15 years of literal, literal hell the rest of us had gone through. Since step one records an admission that our lives had become unmanageable, how could people such as these take these steps? It was obviously necessary to race the bottom the rest of us had hit to the point where it would hit them. By going back in our own drinking histories, we could show that years before we realized that we were out of control, that our drinking even then was no mere habit, that it was indeed the beginning of a fatal progression. To the doubters, we could say, perhaps you're not an alcoholic after all. Why don't you try some more controlled drinking? Bearing in mind 
Meanwhile, what we have told you about alcoholism. This attitude brought immediate and practical results. It was then discovered that when one alcoholic had planted in the mind of another the true nature of his melody, that person could never be the same again. Following every spree, he would say to himself, maybe those AAs were right. After a few such experiences, often years before the one set of extreme difficulties, he would return to us, convinced he had hit bottom as truly as any of us. John Barleycorn himself had become our best advocate. Why all this insistence that every AA member must hit bottom first? The answer is that few people will sincerely try to practice the AA program unless they have hit bottom. For practicing AA's remaining 11 steps means the adoption of attitudes and actions that almost no alcoholic who is still drinking can dream of taking. Who wishes to be rigorously honest and tolerant? Who wants to confess his faults to another and make restitutions for harm done? Who cares anything about a higher power, let alone meditation and prayer? Who wants to sacrifice time and energy in trying to carry the AA's message to the next sufferer? No, the average alcoholic, self-centered in the extreme, doesn't care for this prospect unless he has to do these things in order to stay alive himself. Under the lash of alcoholism, we are driven to AA, and there we discover the fatal nature of our situations. Then and only then do we become as open-minded to conviction and as willing to listen as the dying can be. We stand ready to do anything which will lift the merciless obsession from us.